When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And Logan, boy, do we have some stuff to talk about. Reports coming out that Carson Wentz may have fractured his finger in the game on Thursday night. Grant Paulson saying he may miss as much as six weeks. He's scheduled to see a specialist coming up on Monday. We were recording this uh, in case anything comes out on that at about 5.30 on Sunday night. Uh, I have the Chiefs-Bills game up in the background. Uh, or I guess I have Red Zone up in the background. That's the, the primary game going on right now, Logan. Uh, we'll touch a little bit on some of the games that are happening or that happened earlier today as well. But our main focus uh, will be to talk about what this offense would look like if Carson is out and Heineke is in. And in order to do that, I think we should look back, uh, as we typically do uh, on Wednesdays, on a Monday pod, about uh, what happened in the game against Chicago. So, uh, first of all, what's up, buddy? This I feel like I haven't talked to you in like two whole days. <laughs> it's crazy. It has been a while. Are, yeah, you, are was, you okay? You hanging in there? Yeah, I'm hanging in, man. It's been tough not talking to you for sure, though. Right. I know you went and got it's a haircut like, and everything. You got a haircut, you know. Did uh, It was nice not having to go, go to the game today, you know, st- spend some time with the fam, but... Nice to be talking some football again here this afternoon. So yeah, uh, agreed, agreed. Nice, nice little weekend reprieve after what was an absolutely bananas week. Obviously, still monitoring any fallout on Tuesday. That that's the other thing we could wind up having to talk about on Wednesday is the NFL owners meetings on Tuesday, and if anything yeah. happens in regards to Dan uh, following the ESPN story. But uh, as for now, let's take a look at the game uh, Thursday night. They win kind of 12-7. I mean, it's a win. Uh, 12-7 over Chicago. I mean, let's uh, give it to them. Like, if no one's, yeah. no one's giving them credit for it. You know, national media is kind of ripping them apart. Like, they got a win. They need to get a win. They got it yeah. done. It was ugly, but, you know, it's... It's a win. A win's a win. win, You know what I'm saying? It does. It does still count all the same. As we evaluate the performance, though, let's just start with the offense. Um, What, like, they threw for 99 yards, didn't particularly run it well, didn't really do anything well. Uh, That's why you wind up with 12 points, which, again, is enough to win considering uh, the defense bowed up in key spots. But, like, what were the the big overarching problems that, that weaved through the game for them offensively? Yeah, so I think I mean I think the the highlight of the game is probably the run game. I know it doesn't feel that way, but I think they averaged about four yards a carry, if I remember correctly. You know, Brian Robinson, um, he you know looked a little bit tepid, but ends up 
you know, I think averaging right around four with a touchdown, maybe 3.9, something yeah, like that. Yeah, he, he winds up in the high threes for the game. I mean, Gibson is the one. He three five, um, 17 for 60. Yeah. But a Gibson average is seven on his five carries. But it felt like Gibson really turned the game when he came in. And, you know, I even tweeted out at halftime. I was like, they have gotten way too far away from Antonio Gibson. He comes out, his first touch of the game, it feels like, is returning the second half kickoff. And then they come out and they start to mix and match Robinson and Gibson a little bit more. And that was the one drive they kind of threw together. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, McKissick had a nice touch in there. Like I was just looking back in my notes as we were talking and, you know, like there's an RPO in there that he sparks, almost breaks for a touchdown for, I think it was 18 yards. Like they, those guys did some nice stuff, you know, and I think like you mentioned, Gibson shows up in a big way, gets a game plan run uh, kind of on that his first big carry. It's, um, you know, kind of a, a designed outside zone to the right. They bring the tight end back across and the defensive end for the Bears thinks, oh, I know what this is. He's trying to cut me out of a gap plays underneath it and then you get Cole Turner one on with the corner and obviously Gibson's an explosive dude and is out in space and uh, probably would have scored a touchdown if um, if uh, Roquan Smith doesn't fight over the top and get in on the tackle so uh, or Terry ends up blocking him too you know what I mean so just a guy kind of making a hustle play that, that stops that from being a huge play uh, but again like I think that that if you're looking for something positive offensively they did some good stuff there I think the offensive line on us on some runs kind of spot runs did some really nice things in terms of passing off stunts and, um, you know, the goal line run. I think Norwell does an excellent job just being patient with his feet and kind of helping Leno out and really ensuring there's a soft spot on that uh, on the touchdown run. So I, I think if that's if you're looking for something offensively, I think that's it. And I think, you know, when you average over four carry, like I know um, Robinson was three and a half or whatever it was, but total over four, that's a, that's not a bad day. Yeah, a they're four six as a team. You know, carry, Terry gets yeah. two carries uh, yeah. as well, a six and a five. Um, McKissick's got two for 20, Gibson five for 35. Carson actually brings down the average. He's got two for two. Um, including by the way, I mean, one of the things and we'll talk about Carson and obviously we'll talk about what Heineke brings, but that running element is something Taylor does. I mean, it was, you know, watching it as like a movement coach, watching him on that keeper and try to cut man. Like he just doesn't have that anymore. Um, like not that he can't move and throw a little bit on the run, but like he is not a runner. He cannot get out on the edge. And like, I mean, he literally like rolled his ankle trying to make a cut and he's just kind of clumsy as a, as someone trying to make other guys miss. And it's great when he lowers his shoulder as a blocker. And like, he obviously has a huge block for the second straight week of this one, not only a big in terms of impact, but big in terms of like collision impact, but big in terms of where it was in the game, helping spring Robinson um, down to the goal line. But it's the kind of thing that, you know, there's going to be get, you know, give and take, uh, if Wentz is out, uh, like we, we think, and is being reported initially, at least as we talk right now, um, you give up a ton of arm strength and all that kind of stuff. But I do wonder, especially if they're, they're going to try to be running the ball a lot more because you know, it's going well, it's where they feel like they can protect their line or their line is better, et cetera. That if, if Taylor's ability to run and getting him some planned runs becomes part of their weekend week out strategy for as long as he's the starter. I mean, that's something that I've always been kind of calling for. And if you look back to last year, that's something they just never really got to from a planned run standpoint. He's he's Taylor's twitched up. He's got some good movement skills. He's very um, like uh, twitchy, bursty, you know, like he can get get up to get to top speed very quickly and do some damage there. But that's something Scott never leaned into. And I think, um, again, like when we were watching the game, uh, 
Dalt, uh, Denton kept saying, oh, you know, Fitz, uh, Fitzgerald before the game said this is like a very plug-and-play offense. And I do think that I get that vibe from Scott. Like that's something that would be innovative and kind of helpful probably. And I think Scott's like, that's not what this offense is. That's not um, the history of this offense. And so I don't, I don't expect that to be a big feature if Taylor does come. But I think, you know, um, if you look at some of the other throws that Carson had in that game and some of the other kind of, concepts that they called and I think areas where he struggled reading it I think if you look at what Taylor did during OTAs and training camp um, he probably is a little bit more efficient there you know and we talked about Carson's arm strength and obviously that's on display even in the incompletion of Curtis like that was a heck of a throw probably with a broken hand which is kind of mind-blowing that he was able to get that done um, but you know I look at what like I look at like I think back to training camp and um, Taylor was much more efficient in terms of running the offense play to play. Obviously the big plays come when Carson's in there cause he's launching the ball down the field and he's got that ability. But like, just for example, there's a play kind of in that two minute drive where it's like, um, it's like two slants on the outside and then a corner by the inside guy. So number mm-hmm. one, number two runs slants, number three runs a corner and then the back runs a swing to that side. And is that old base, dusty? Am I thinking of the right play? Um, some people call it chair. You know, it's like a chair variation. Like it could be dusty depending on what offense you've been in. But old, old yeah. seventy-two dusty. So it was yeah, there a you Gruden, go. Gruden That's, favorite. That sounds like a right call. So anyway, the back is wide open, and Carson kind of forces the ball to the corner. And I think a guy who's a little bit more comfortable with the offense probably just throws the ball to the back. Like he's wide open. The, the slants have picked the guy who's Matt, who's trying to match the back, who's McKissick. And that's probably a 10, maybe 15 yard gain. And again, there's stuff like that all over the field. Like they run all go special the next play, which is just a three by one. Right. And so on the side of the three receivers, they run, one guy runs across the field vertical. One guy runs straight up the field vertical and one guy runs a go on the outside. And the receiver on the other side runs a shallow cross and the shallow cross is wide open it's terry and if terry catches mm-hmm. that ball in stride because they're they're playing like a soft cover two I, I would imagine terry gets about 12 yards and then you have another timeout but you know as has been carson's mo over the past couple of weeks he just jumps directly to the back and throws it to the back and it's an incomplete pass but even if it is a complete pass like it, the guy who's got the momentum the guy who's got the space it feels like the reach would just go I'll go special to Terry, but for whatever reason, he jumps to the back. And again, like those are the types of throws in this offense, you know, Taylor having been in the offense for a while that I think he makes. And I think that's going going to add a level of efficiency. I think you lose, you know, like the play against Tennessee to, um, to Diami. I think you lose that. But I also think the down to down efficiency, like we talked about the Tennessee game, like he missed a couple reads on in cuts, like big in cuts that would have been big plays. I think Taylor hits those or he's at least trying to hit those. And I think, you know, like there's two plays right there. Um, there's a they run like a CO concept, so a corner and an out to the front side, and then they run a drive concept to the back side, which essentially is like a shallow cross and a uh, like kind of a dig, uh, like a dig, a 14 yard dig. And so, you know, obviously an out and a corner are not great necessarily versus cover two, because there's a safety for the corner and there's a corner for the uh, out route, right? And so good good quarterbacks tend to go like corner out say no and then they go right to the dig and on this look the dig is wide open again and i kind of think to myself like a guy who's more comfortable probably gets there a little bit quicker probably understands hey this isn't there as much as i want to give this guy a shot on the corner 
the digs where the throw is. So I think that stuff is probably going to be more efficient, like I said. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully that's true. I'm, I, I can't I got to be honest. I'm a little disappointed Carson is hurt because I'm kind of hoping maybe selfishly that he turns a corner and we get to see whether or not he's the guy for 2023. And I know everyone wants to say no right now, but ultimately he's a new quarterback and a new offense and still trying to find himself a little bit and playing behind a banged up offensive line. So I would like to get more data points on that, but um, I do think that Heineke has the potential to provide a little bit of a spark, even looking at the preseason games who ran the offense more effectively in those situations. And oftentimes it was Heineke. Yeah. Um, we'll start, let's circle back to that in a second. Just real quick to wrap up the offense from the Chicago game specifically. What did you make of the game that Scott had and, and how did the line play as well? Because I feel like, everyone was ready to kill them uh you know in terms of criticism because those first two third downs they give up sack sack and it's like oh here we go again and then then they kind of settled it felt like maybe uh but yeah. you know reputation wise the damage had in many ways been done so uh what'd you make of the day the line had and then kind of combine it all in terms of what did we make of the the game that scott called i mean i kind of think the first sack honestly is I don't want to give anyone blame, but if I were going to assign blame, I'd probably give it to Scott. I think it just, you came out, you're running a concept that is open, obviously, but they're basically running like a zero blitz. And for how much zero blitz this team has seen and for how they've struggled with it, going back to the Detroit game, for you not to have like a plan for that. And again, like I wasn't expecting it. Like I probably would have got caught with my pants down because I thought they don't do a ton of this. Like, why do we need to prep for it? But I think your history as the Washington commanders indicates that yes, you're probably going to see a little bit more zero than other teams because you struggle with it. So what is the answer moving forward to zero pressure um, again? And then like you're an empty a ton on third down. You, you like it. I get it. But you know, sometimes there's a benefit to just keeping the back in there and saying like, let's not stress the offensive line as dramatically because the second one is, is a tough play, right? They come up in basically like a Cinco front, right? So they have to kind of money call that. Uh, meaning so money would be that everyone's got a man, right? So there's five offensive linemen, there's five defensive linemen, they're just going to man that up. However, if they do bring an internal pressure, the tackle has to set the end and then squeeze back down to bump the guard off the three technique to bump him to the blitzer in the A-gap. That is tough. That's tough duty. And I think like that's a lot, that's a very common thing in empty protection, but it does put a lot of pressure on that group to kind of, identify things quickly like if you watch Leno he's very very efficient at it but obviously like Lucas is who's been outstanding is a little bit slower to recognize and move his feet and get that done especially with Sadiqa Young Garden there as well so um, I think understanding that a little bit better and saying like yeah we're stressing our back a little bit because Roquan Smith is a great blitzer but we have to do something different than what we're doing on third down because teams are exploiting how we protect on third down because our offensive line is still gelling together. There's a lot of communication issues. Think about it. There's three new pieces on the right side there, or including the center, right? And you're just not asking for a very successful formula, I don't think, in some of those situations. So, again, kind of going back to that kind of, um, you know, Scott with his traditional approach to how the offense should be run, as opposed to kind of speaking to his players' strengths, I think is something that I would really look at there, right? I understand you don't get to call everything you want to call, you know, if the offensive line's struggling, but you need to – you need to kind of accommodate that group at this point. And I, I don't think he's doing that um, as much as he probably needs to. And, you know, I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a guy who watches a lot of film, but I'm not calling plays. I'm not in the rooms. So I don't know exactly what's going on there, but that's just my observation. 
Sure. And that's, that's the tough thing when you're in this position, right? Is like you watch the result and you go, this ain't working. The, the hard part is then figuring out why and, and what you can do about it. And that's ultimately their job. But I think it's like bluntly, like that's what separates our podcast a little bit from a lot of the other stuff is like you played in the NFL for 10 years and like actually have an understanding of what the, some of those solutions look like. And so it's not like we're just heaping criticism on it's like, Hey, week after week, this isn't working. Here are some other ways in which it's done in the league. Why are they, what, what is the reason? And this is the part that we don't know. It's like, what are the reason they're not trying that? Is it stubbornness? Is it uh, personnel, whether it's quarterback line, whatever that can't handle it? Like, why do they continue to think this is their best option? Because clearly if this is their best option, they're not going to be a very good offense. And, and to be fair to Scott, like um, uh, McKissick is open on the out. You know, but it's just like you get a free runner in the quarterback's face, like it's a low, it becomes a low percentage throw, right? And um, and I and I just keep going back, like it haunts me, you know, to hear uh, Fitzpatrick basically saying it's a plug and play offense. It's not an offense that is is contorted or manipulated to fit the players, because that that shows up every week, you know, like you're he's calling what he wants to call, he's calling the offense, he's not thinking like, oh, how do we formation this to get guys in better spots? It's not. Oh, this is how we get the runs so that it puts our offensive line in better positions. Oh, the protections. It's not that. It's very like, this is it. We're going to run mesh. We're going to run dagger. We're going to run all go. And we're going to let the chips fall where they may. And I think that's one of that's one yeah. of the frustrations, obviously. But again, there are offenses that are relatively successful to do that. So, Yeah. So this also makes, not to like to harp on this too much, but it also makes Ron's quarterback you know quote that much more ridiculous right like if you actually never do anything around and not not the faux controversy like the real substance of what he meant is like we haven't had time to build around a quarterback right okay well you've never changed anything for any of the quarterbacks that you have like there's been like seven plays this year that they run and you go okay that was taking advantage of carson's arm strength that's something that heineke probably doesn't do but also they ran some of that the same stuff last year and heineke just didn't make the throws yeah. And so have they really modified it to their offense in any way to their guys in any way? Like, sure. Every, every once in a while they throw Curtis or Terry or, or even Carson and play to his strengths, you know, a bone, so to speak, but down in, down out, are they doing it the same way that Buffalo, that Kansas city, that LA, that, you know, all these best offenses in the league are, and even other ones that are not quite the best offenses in the league, but just the way it's done, um, you know, what Atlanta's doing with Marcus Mariota, what Tennessee does with Henry, like their offense fits their personnel. And if the personnel changes, the offense changes. And, you know, when you say, oh, we haven't had time to do that, and you're on your third quarterback in three years, and the offense has never changed the entire time, that, uh, that, that argument loses quite a bit of steam. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, um, I mean, that's that's the one consistent criticism we have with the offense, right, is that it doesn't seem, and again, like, I think it's important to know that, like, when we talk about LA, when we talk about San Francisco, you know, Tennessee, some of these other offenses, they're we're, they're running the same concepts that, that, um, that the commanders are running, right? But right. they just get to them in different ways, and the execution in terms of how they get there is just more efficient, right? You can tell it's like, it's like watching... It's like watching a TV, an old, um, you know, low, low def television, right? It's like you can see what's happening, you get it, you understand the crux of what hap- what's happening in your show, and then, but once you click on the high definition, you're like, oh, okay, like that's how that's supposed to look, like that's how that image is supposed to make me feel, 
And I think like when you when you look at when you look at the commanders, again, it's a low, low res version of what these other guys are doing at a high level in the NFL. And I think that's again, like like there are offenses that just call it and run it. I I, I don't agree with that philosophy because that's not ever how any offense I was in outside of Chicago and maybe Houston, even Houston, they pushed the envelope a little bit. And they were a numbered system team as well. Um, you know, that New England offense that um, Bill O'Brien ran down there. But I, I, I just think you, you got you to gotta kind of be solving puzzles each week to get yourself in the best position to be successful. Right. Um, there's a great example today, too, even in the, the Buffalo game, one of the plays in the first half. And it's just a simple thing, but it's like third down. And instead of a traditional like three white, three by two empty split, they kind of stack two receivers out wide and then have digs in onto the, the field side in the slot and give them a choice route. Yeah. And it's like they, they, they got like a college amount of space for Stefan Diggs to run a choice route basically against a linebacker in zone. Yeah. Like little things like that. You don't see, you see the same formations, you see the same personnel groupings. It's just, it's not that special. Um, and well, that's, you, that's even in, the results. Even in the game, I mean, they ran a choice route, right, to 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 Gibson, and it, Gibson get he catches the ball. It's like a, I forget, it's like a um like a five yard gain, right? But you don't give him an opportunity to kind of work a stack, like work any kind of relationship to like one of the things about choice, like if you can run it from space, like they did with Stefan Diggs, or you can run it with another route there, usually a vertical stem route. And the vertical right. stem route forces the defender to say, either I have to be inside of this vertical or I have to be outside of this. And right. a good choice route runner can manipulate the defender so they're kind of walled off from the angle. And you're just like, hey, go win this route, man. And we got an out route right outside of you. And the out route is kind of preventing you from doing anything kind of super spicy in terms of getting this linebacker off their leverage. So, and again, I don't know if that was choice. That might have been lucky. But again, it does limit how effective that route runner is can be in that situation. And again, I right. think that's, it fits perfectly with your example. Something that, that I also just remember that I wanted to ask you about real quick, and then I want to flip the, the script. Both we'll talk about the defense, then we'll talk about Heineke and, and some of the things that they probably do better and what they lose, because there is a reason uh, Carson Wentz was the starter. And I think that's yeah. important to point out because I do think that Heineke has somehow returned to like superhero levels that he got uh, kind of, I <laughs> mean, Tampa look, Bay, he, was, right? he was great in the Tampa game in, in so many ways, but like he was great against the expectations of he had not started a game all year. And I feel like people have gone back to like, oh, he's just great. And it's like, well, let's, let's have a more realistic look at what Taylor Heineke was last year. But one of the other things that I find fascinating about this offense, why do they continue to throw to running backs and like third and five, like at the sticks, like there is just a consistency that that has happened the last couple of games where I get it get. And like, I certainly have been someone. And so have you, that's like more Gibson, more McKissick, like get these guys involved, but lining them up at receiver and having them run a dig on to the sticks on third and five, like that's not using their skill sets like in their, that's not like, like there's a great phrase, uh, highest and best use. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's if you can get as many people in your business to have, be in their highest and best use, you will optimize your business no matter what the business is. And J.D. McKissick or Antonio Gibson's highest and best use is not running to the sticks, turning around and catching a contested ball. That is not that is not what they're best at. It is not where the offense is going to function best in that situation. And yet, whether it's that or like 
hey, let's get JD on a slant at the goal line or the interception uh, to close the Tennessee game. Like they keep putting them in some of the hardest positions that wide receivers get in, as opposed to using them in wide receiver splits to get them into space where they can be running backs. Yeah, I think you know. Again, like I, I look at you know Kyle Shanahan's offense from two years ago, where it had the highest amount of separation of any offense in the league. And one of the things he does well is he gets a running back, but he understands that like, hey, I can run a pick for this guy, or I can manipulate this right. coverage based on the other routes here, right? So like, let's say you've got a three by one, right, and it's quarters or whatever it is, right? If I run two verticals that kind of widen release, right? I'm creating a void there in that defense where no one can really match the back and the back runs a slant or something. And there's just going to be this, this space because the flat defender has to push all the way out to go get them. And that's just a, like, again, that's like high school, hairy kind of game plan stuff, but that's a simple way to kind of say this, this back is a good space player. They're not great route runner, but here's a way that we can manipulate what they're trying to do to put him in a good position to catch a ball with space and make something happen. And I think that that is, um, again, like you, you don't see a lot of it, but again, to defend Scott, there are opportunities in this game where Carson's appears, appears, I'm not in the meeting. I don't know exactly, but appears to be misreading it and appears to be kind of working too quickly through his progression to get to something else that is not what it's supposed to be. So again, that's, kind of a lack of familiarity with the offense by Carson, right? And I think, you know, Scott can probably help him out a little bit pre-snap in the headset, I would think. But to me, like, again, to be fair to Scott, yes, they could be doing some more high-level stuff, but some of the stuff they're doing is not hitting. And now that's pretty common, right? That's pretty common in offense, but I think it's important to at least acknowledge that point. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. Question for you on Scott and getting to the higher, higher level stuff versus what they're running, and also the execution part of this. And we move towards talking about Carson, what they lose if he's out, which is what has been reported, or Taylor if he comes in. What do they gain potentially, even with some of the other offset losses? Do you think? Have you worked with coordinators who go, "Hey, we can't do the basics. I'm not adding on." Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you wonder if that maybe is a part of his thought process, even though I think both of us would go, Hey, if you add some stuff on, it actually would become easier. And, and, and that the simplicity is actually part of the problem, not a sign that you shouldn't make it more complicated, uh, based off what you're doing. Well, I think really good coordinators that I've worked with are really good at basically saying like, we've got too much in, 
let's distill it down to these like five or six things, but here's a whole bunch of different ways to get to these five or six things. Right. right? And I think that that's, that's something again, like where, like when you watch Scott's offense, yeah, it's really simple, but it's not like it's diverse, you know, like there's a difference between like being simple and straightforward and simple and diverse. And you can do both things, right? I think you just look at Philadelphia, for example, they do a lot of stuff that like challenges rules and puts, puts, uh, defenses in weird spots their their route concepts they are not overly complicated right but they say oh we're just going to motion this or we'll do this one from a bunch or we'll do it off an rpo or hey we can get to this off a of play action or we'll do it off of a half roll and again the concept could be almost exactly the same but just that backfield action manipulates the defense and kind of again stresses rules it, it stresses stresses the mental capacity of the defenders and i think that's the kind of stuff that you don't like again, and I'm gonna. I've said that we said this already, but it, it, it's, it's it irritates me. You run a play, a shot play to Diami, right? You get man to man on third down, you run the same exact shot play out of the same exact formation to the right. same exact guy. Like, it's kind of like, come on, like, can we we can spice this right. up a little they, bit? You know, it what was mean? five days ago, yeah. Like, and I understand short week, whatever, but like, that's kind of Scott's no, I'm thing. saying, like, that's the point. Like, it's so yeah. fresh in their mind, like, do yeah. something else, get right, get to it out of emotion, get to it out of a bunch, like, right, you know, can you can you have the instead of the three guys? So, the, the way that was run. Um, for the audience that might not remember, obviously you do like you have pretty standard three wide receiver split spread, uh, to the left. You have your tight end out to the right, uh, on a pretty tight split. Like, can you, can you get Diami in motion on that? Like start him on the right yeah. side, bring him back left, you know, run something different, some eye candy run instead of, you know, just two kind of stop routes to, to keep the defenders close on Curtis and, and, uh, Terry, can you run slants? Can you do something to to take them away, to give the safety something else to consider? And then can you run Diami in motion across the formation? Give him a running head start. Because now the corner's like, oh, I've seen this before. And it's, he's in phase with him the entire way. That's not really an option. Like, good luck chasing Diami Brown while he's on the move. And or, so, like, little things like that, it's the same play. Um you know, oh, even that you might wind up in the same formation, uh, it, the way I just described it. But obviously, you can do it a bunches. You can do it all kinds of different ways. And I think even just like you kind of hit the nail on the head there, like kind of my point. But you know, if you did that from a two, like a, like a two by two, right? And you mm-hmm. and that's a tight, tight on both sides, right? Kind of like a bunch or a stack on both sides, and then mm-hmm. like jet motion Diami across, and he becomes the sit route now because he's just sprinting to a spot that creates horizontal stretch on the defense, right? Right. Then you have the the widen box go which is run by a different person now right be terry, terry or curtis both of whom are four three guys right and then the out route that you're running there has this huge window because you've really stressed the defense to say oh shoot i gotta sprint out to get to this spot so you create these windows as opposed to this very stagnant pre-snap picture where you're like okay like what do they like to do at a three by one because this is what's in front of me if they get to a quick game and it's man they like to throw this big box fade I'm the DB. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? And right. again, you're at such your your splits width is at such a, a, a spacing that you can't run any kind of picks or anything there to help out the receiver. Like, you know, I, I just remember being in Atlanta and like they were obsessed. Anytime we got any kind of man coverage out of a three by one or two by two, like um, Matt would signal and you would run some type of pick route. And teams had to always be kind of like you'd look at the DBs and they'd be staring each other down, like communicating constantly because they knew that was in the bag all the time, right? And here it's just like, okay, nope, here we go. You and me, let's figure it out. Main coverage, I got help inside over the top. I'm going to force you to the sideline. Let's go. So I think that's, again, like help your guys out. 
Yeah. So that get that gets then to like, okay, some of this simplicity might be because Carson is not operating the offense uh, the way it's supposed to on paper, at least the way when we watch it, what what we think. So with Taylor coming in, I would think down in, down out, it probably operates a little better. What do they gain? And then in terms of space, that's, I think, the area where they actually lose the most. Like if you want to look at the pass bins, uh, and I'll put these up somewhere, uh, probably on Twitter uh, first, and I might even put the, put them on Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, they'll be up at Craig Hoffman, and I'll throw them on the Team 980's Instagram page as well. But True Media has what they call pass bins. So it's like all these different areas of the field between the hashes, numbers to hash, you know, numbers to sideline. Uh, behind the line of scrimmage, 10 yards, 20 yards, whatever down the field. And if you look at Carson's like 2022 bin, so in this offense, you know, he's 70% uh, to one side, 80% in the other in those kind of slant areas. You look at Heineke's career, which has been mostly in this offense because he's been with Scott everywhere. Um, he's at like 85 and almost 90% in those areas. Um, you also though lose a lot of, you know, the quick outs and things that Carson loves to zip to the sideline. You know, he's like 85 and 72% left and right. Heineke is 74 and 65, uh, down the middle. Again, Heineke's better, uh, down the sideline, the deeper you get down the field, Heineke's bins just disappear because there's areas of the field that he literally can't touch compared to what Carson can do with his arm strength. So how do you think that ultimately winds up playing out? And, you know, I know we just talked about how Scott is very plug and play and doesn't really change the offense, but like realistically, what changes does he have to make to maximize what this team can do if Heineke is the starter for a couple of weeks? So, uh, yeah, I think when you look back to training camp, because that's the last time I saw him practice, is like when you watch the ones go, right, there was always a little bit of a, there was a little bit of a labor going through the um, going through practice, right? It's like, oh, you know, like Carson's trying to fire this in. And I, and I think that Heineke, to his credit, like really understands Scott's vision and how the concept's supposed to work. And he's a guy that like, you know, he's standing behind the huddle and he'll kind of, you'll see him pointing to the concept as the play's going on and where the ball is supposed to be. And for him to recognize it, like a beat ahead of Carson or a beat ahead of Sam Howell, Like that is what I think you gain here, right? Is you get a guy who knows the offense, understands the timing of the offense and understand based on certain looks where the ball is supposed to go, right? And that is huge. That's huge for an offense, right? Just having your play caller, your signal caller understand that. Now, you mentioned some of his physical limitations and those are on full display, right? Um, Pretty consistently, um, you know, last year. And again, like I like what he did at the position, but some of those throws like in the middle of the field, like I think of back to the green Bay game last year where he's sailing the, the bender on all go on all go. Right. And gets Terry almost smoked over the middle of the field just because he can't, he doesn't have the arm torque yeah, that one was bad. To, get, to get the ball there. Um, I think he's improved in that area, but I also think that that's what you lose. Right. Like, so can you hit the post to um, Diami against Tennessee? I don't know. Like, does it get there in timing? Right. And, um, and I don't know. Again, he can get the ball out of his hand quicker because he understands the concepts, he understands the looks, but um, he's, he's got some physical limitations. He holds the ball a long time, but he has a little bit more movement um, in the back there. Him and Carson hold the ball about the same amount of time in the pocket based on last year's statistics. And um, and I think like that's going to stress the O-line. But again, Taylor can move around a little bit more, is a little bit more of a Houdini, a little bit more of a playmaker. So versus an offensive line that's struggling, that might that probably is an advantage, right? So understanding where to go with the football, 
his movability, his escape ability in the pocket. I think a higher understanding of the offense because he's been in the offense for like a year and a half longer than Carson. It's, it's a big advantage, right? And again, you lose some of that the, the physical gifts that make Carson special. Like look at those Jacksonville's throws. Look at the throws against Detroit in the second half. Look at the throws against Tennessee, the big plays, right? Those throws are not there. But hopefully your down-to-down consistency is a little bit more efficient and then the then the offense is more efficient. So instead of going 1 and 11 on third down, maybe you're 50% or something like that or 40%. Whatever it is, but that is the thing that you're going to gain from having him helming the show. Yeah. The the time to throw thing is super interesting because I do remember distinctly last year like losing it just being like this guy holds the ball forever. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like the number. I was actually just trying to look it up real quick, and I can't. I can't figure out uh, how to sort it out uh, <laughs> to get. I can. I can give you uh, his completion percentage by time to throw. I can't find an average number, um, yeah. but there are definitely times where that number is going to look higher because sometimes he extends plays and things like that. So, like the average number, I'm actually a little less interested in, even though I was just frantically looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there are definitely times where it's like, guy, get the ball out now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and he would eat it or wouldn't see a throw. And I was ready for them to make the switch to Kyle Allen by the end of last year because of it. Cause I'm like, Kyle Allen is not super accurate, um, but he'll get the ball out on time. Like the, right. he will hit his back foot and he will get the ball out. Do I think Heineke is better at that than Wentz though? Absolutely. Um, and I think he's better specifically in some areas of the field where, um, Wentz has really struggled. Now, Wentz has unlocked some areas of the field, like we said, such as some of these quick outs. Like, T- Taylor doesn't really throw those very well. And for Wentz, they're like layups because his arm mm-hmm. is so freaking strong that he can just catch, turn, and throw. And, you know, if you need five yards on a quick out, it's there. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they they do this, how they manage it with the running game as well, because one of the one of the struggle points of this offense has been getting the ball to their playmakers who are wide receivers predominantly, and Terry and Curtis and Jahan hopefully is going to be back this week. And I am a little scared that they will overly fall in love with four-game win streak, the middle of last year, Washington football team, where they run the ball more than they should. Um, that's not to say that the running game shouldn't be a healthy part of this offense and that they can't use those guys, by the way, as runners. Um, yeah. And I think they showed that last week that they're willing to give Terry some carries. I don't understand why for a third straight week, Curtis isn't getting carries. Um, but, you know, okay. W- they've got to get the ball to, to their playmakers. And, and hopefully, I think Taylor's someone who understands that for sure. Uh, like, I th- almost think that backup mentality of like, I've just got to get the ball to my playmakers and let them do their thing sometimes can be helpful <laughs> versus Carson has talked about how, sometimes he's looking for a touchdown on every play. Mm. And that's just not who Taylor is. Taylor's going to be like, all right, let's get the ball to Terry. Bang. Let's get the ball to Curtis. Bang. The question is, can he avoid turnovers? And can he avoid the types of throws that are going to get his guys in trouble? Because he got in a couple, he got more than a few guys laid out last year. Um, you obviously don't want that. And then I, I think depending on how that goes, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole now, um, but you know, depending on how it goes, they've got real decisions to make whenever it is that Carson comes back because you could be looking at either Heineke playing well and then do you really go back to the guy who wasn't? Uh, Heineke played and whatever and the record stinks, you just go to Howell. Or if he's kind of in the middle, then I think you get your thing with Wentz. The one thing, just to kind of wrap up this, this thought real quick, too, is 
assuming a fairly even number of snaps and considering how few snaps they played the last couple of weeks offensively, uh, Wentz, if he misses six weeks, is a lock basically to not play 60 or 70% of the snaps. So the draft pick thing does become not part of the equation. So even if, even if they're out of it, and you don't want to play Hal and you want to get more data points on Wentz at the end of the year, you wouldn't be doing it at the risk of giving up a better draft pick to Indianapolis. So that's nice, I guess. I mean, it is nice if, if yeah. you, yeah, you know, like that's it's just uh, cold. And I hate like yeah. talking about injuries and stuff this way, but like there is a, that is the reality of the situation. Um, you know, he's going to miss 30. If you miss six weeks, you miss 35% of the season and the chances that they're going to run 40 plays a game. So it winds up being over 70% of the snaps are slim to none. Right. Yeah. So again, like that, that doesn't, that's not part of the equation anymore, which, but I, I mean, I do think there is a world where Taylor comes out and looks pretty good, you know, compared to Carson. I think again, like in his time during training camp, like he's got, he's got something to him. You know what I mean? Like, and everyone was talking about his moxie last year, but his ability to like be the point guard of this offense is, is real. You know, it's a real thing. And, um, and I think like, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what he's going to do, you know, again, cause like with, with Heineke, it's always kind of exciting. You know what I mean? He's kind of always, yeah. uh, doing something, but I, I do remember, you know, I'm not remembering him with rose colored glasses. I do think he improved this off season, but I remember last year being like, man, this ain't going to go, you know? And, right. um, um, so hopefully he's, he's grown out of that. It appears that he did during training camp, but that's against your own defense. That's very comfortable. We'll see how he looks against, uh, the green Bay Packers here, if he doesn't end up playing. Yeah. Um, you know, during that win streak in the middle of the year, last year too, he throw 32, 22, 35, 30 attempts. Carson's been chucking it a ton. Uh, mm-hmm. so I'm also curious again to see how the game plan is. All right. Uh, that's anything else on Heineke Wentz, anything else before we move on and, and, uh, look at this defense that bent, but didn't break against Chicago. No, I think that's. I mean, I'm. We'll see how the, everything, all the news comes out, and we'll give an update on uh, Wednesday or whatever. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, make sure you stay tuned to 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980 for all of that. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. All right, the defense did not play like a dominant, wow, they only no. gave up seven points performance, except for they gave up seven points because they made huge plays in huge moments. At least that's what the narrative is. Is that what you saw on tape or did Chicago? I mean, I think the alternate version of this, if we're going to play the optimist pessimist game that we played on the, the day after pod is like, optimist they bowed up they made plays when they had to and certainly there's some of that there's no arguing like james smith williams on that second down getting that batted ball like that's a fantastic play right but you could also say scoring in the red zone is hard and chicago ran into their own ineptitude Uh, i think that's probably the more pessimistic in terms of washington view on it uh when you watch the tape what do you see yeah so i think i think the game in a nutshell is is summed up on the um the fourth down stop the fourth and one stop uh, and what I mean by that is so like that that drive starts with a crazy long run. I think it was like 50 yards or something to Khalil Herbert. And what I mean by that is like they over pursue, they miss a tackle. 
Um, and then, but like your guy, Casey two is like on the ground because like the, the offensive unbelievable play by Casey to run that down and then runs like a million yards and like makes a tackle, you know? So you're getting guys playing hard. Right. And then that puts you in a good situation, but then the very next series, or the very next play, you have 12 men on the field. So right. again, that's not good. You start the drive at the third and one, right. Or, or third and goal, excuse me, or what is that? Three yards to score first down. Right. And, um, and so then they run it great stop by the defense. Then they run like a play action pass and um, fields overthrows the tight end who is wide open in the, t- in the end zone. Right. Do you guys remember that? You remember that Craig? Like literally yeah. like it was like a fake block. He sheds uh, James Smith Williams and he's by himself in the end zone. He overthrows it. All right, cool. Next play, stop the run. And then obviously great play by Cole on the third and inches. So, oh, no, then it was the scramble by fields. That was the other big play. Scramble by fields, and they're, you know, uh, McCain makes a tackle, but then Forrest dives over and knocks him out, keeps him out of the end zone. So, again, great effort plays, but there was also a lot of boneheaded kind of mental mistake stuff that led to big plays and put them in bad spots, and they were able to overcome it. And they got a little bit lucky. Like, fields misses that. The interception, like, I don't know what the hell fields was doing, like banging that off somebody's helmet, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's, and those, those are kind of the, every single play that happened, you know, like that was the game. There was like two good plays and a bad play that got them there. So they were kind of like digging their own grave while also um, like filling it back in at the same time. It was really weird to watch. Like, and you're right, Chicago kind of, because they're not a good football team was not able to capitalize on the mistakes of the defense, but this is definitely, I'm going to say like the worst they've played in probably the last four weeks since Detroit. Like they've been playing really good football, and then this is the game where you're kind of like, oh man, like what happened? And people say, oh, what about um, Dallas? And I'd say they played more consistently against Dallas outside of a couple penalties. Like in the Dallas game, you can look at look at like five plays that where they struggled. Even Philadelphia, there's like four or five plays where you're like, that's not good. And then here it was like uh, the the frequency of bad plays and mental mistakes, and you know, kind of letting fields out of the pocket was much much higher. And so I think it's kind of serendipity that this un- ends up being one of their best kind of score games of the season because I thought they I thought they kind of struggled in this game yeah it was I mean they gave up 238 on the ground and I realized that some of that is like non-traditional runs in terms of field scrambling including the final drive like they're in they're in position to lose that game because they give up a 45 yard scramble or whatever it was to fields Mm -hmm. um I mean that's it's not great um in that situation like you got to know who you're playing and, and make him beat you with his arm um but what's, I don't know. The, the one thing that I will say about that performance defensively is it felt like the three first rounders really were there, like doing their thing. And part of the reason they're able to survive and like get the point production that they have is the guys making the play mm. are those three guys like Alan Payne and sweat would, you know, they give up a dumb penalty, whatever. And like, they'd they'd make a game-saving tackle if you're Casey Tuhill running way down the field. And then Allen would go get a sack. Or Payne would draw a hold. Or Sweat would draw whatever. And like Chicago would be drive, 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 and then wind up in third and 13 because one of those three guys made a play. And like that is a, on some level, sustainable way to play for them is like just keep making sure they have to matriculate the ball. And eventually one of your guys is going to make a play. And those are their three playmakers. And those guys consistently did that sacks, 
you know, getting a, a hold forced. Uh, obviously, Allen winds up with the pick, although that's more of like a lucky play. But like the awareness on that, once the ball goes up in the air, like that's a heck of a play by John Allen after after F.A. Obata, you know, is either using his noggin or in the right place at the right time and getting lucky, depending on who you want to ask. Um, and so I do think that that is is worth mentioning that, yes, they get lucky that Chicago's not better and can't quickly take advantage of what Washington gave them. But part of that is because ultimately Allen, Payne, and Sweat consistently stepped up and put them so far behind the chains that they weren't able to overcome it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think those guys are playing good football. But at the same time, they're also contributing to some of the stuff. Like you mentioned Justin Fields' scramble, right, for mm-hmm. whatever, 45 yards at the end of the game. Like he shakes inside on Bobby, and there's a huge cutback lane. And if you watch the All-22, like Sweat is basically like jogging walking jogging and could if he was running to the football like he should have been he probably makes a tackle there and the game's over right there on the spot so like that's what i'm talking about yeah sweat excellent against the run did an outstanding job creating pressure like he had that sack that got them to the third and 15 where they kind of were in that fourth weird fourth down situation where they don't get it right like they all played well but there was like inconsistency across the board that led to those big plays even the long touchdown run the pursuit angles are crazy. Like, I don't know what those guys are doing. They're pursuing so high relative to where the running back is at, and it creates a huge cutback. And so, again, like, there's just play after play like that, right? The play-action pass stuff, like, I think that's good design by them, and I'm not quite as critical as that, but I just think there was a whole bunch of these opportunities that kind of put them in these weird spots that they then had to kind of really scramble and overcome, right? And obviously John and Payne both had great games. James Smith-Williams, Casey, Obata. I think Obata had another sack. Like, he's doing a great job. So, J- even Jamin. Jamin and Cole are great examples. Like, they made some incredible splash plays in terms of running running backs down, but they also missed a couple tackles that led to more right. yards, right? Right. You know, so I think that, again, like, the whole group, and you're kind of saying maybe it's a short week, maybe they're a little That's bit That's what I was going to say. Up. I wonder how much of that, too, is Thursday night and just, like, you're exhausted. Yeah. You, you, you're, you played a bunch of plays a couple weeks in a row, and – now all of a sudden you've had to, I mean, Thursday night on the road is so much worse sure. than Thursday night at home. Um, it's not a terrible fight to Chicago, but you're still going. It's cold as hell. Yeah. Like that's, it's not a good time. Uh, last thing though, is like, will they be able to get away with that stuff against green Bay? And your first instinct is like, Oh hell no, because it's Aaron Rodgers. But you watch what they do today against the giants. I, I tweeted this out earlier and I'm, I haven't gotten a response yet from anybody. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a way to look this up. Uh, and someone in the NFL will have to. Who's the last team to lose to the Jets and Giants in back-to-back weeks? Because uh, the Jets and Giants haven't done a lot of winning in recent years. And all of a sudden, <laughs> both of them are over 500. They beat the Packers back-to-back weeks. First, uh, the Jets, that monster comeback. Or sorry, the Giants, the monster comeback in London today. The Jets go to Lambeau and beat the Packers. So what do you see, you know, initial first thoughts on Green Bay? And, you know, with the 10 days off, with Heineke potentially out there, like, I you know, do you have any early feel on what Washington can do? Yeah, this is all very like high level stuff, but I think a couple things stick out to me. One, their their lack of playmakers outside is really hurting their offense. And what I mean by that is like they're having a hard time protecting because you know what Carson or not Carson, Aaron Rodgers used to rely on was kind of being able to get the ball out of his hand quick to Cobb and um Adams and all these different playmakers that he had. And now the separation isn't quite the same. I mean, Alan Lazard, I think, has exceeded expectations. Yeah, Lazard's but a good player. But, but it's by no means... Not Devontae Adams. Right. Like, 
yeah, he's probably a two or a three in most offenses, and that's not an indictment because I really, uh, in terms of guys that I like watching, Alan Lazard's one of them. Like he's physical as heck in the run game. He makes contested catches. He's got some good savvy, but he's not like he's not the guy where you walk out and you're like, oh my gosh, we got to guard Alan Lazard today. Like Alan Lazard's a good NFL receiver, but he's not going to scare anybody, right? They've got Romeo Dubs, who again is a young player. I think he was drafted in the fourth round. Got a lot of growing to do. Their first round pick, Christian Watson, for whatever reason, has not been a feature of the in the offense since week one. And really, they they are relying a lot on the tight ends and the running backs. And I think people kind of figured it out. They were like, okay, well, we don't need to worry that much about all these all these playmakers on the outside. We can kind of change our coverage philosophy, add people to the box count, and make these make these two runners and Aaron beat us. And the O lines had a hard time protecting and. They really, I don't want to say they look toothless because they are, Aaron Rodgers is still a great football player. Uh, A.J. Dillon and Jones are really good football players. But when they're the only show in town and you lose Adams on the outside and you don't have anybody to kind of replace that production, it becomes really gnarly. And then the defense has even suffered. Like they're still playing really well. They got a bunch of playmakers in that group, but they're on the field a lot more now. And I think it's kind of, again, like this team that was able to kind of score and win kind of all in a multitude of ways it doesn't appear to be that same team. It's a much more labored and drawn out. They got to win close games. Uh, and a lot of it's because they just don't have the talent at receiver to get that done anymore. Right. And uh, Randall Cobb, who's been pretty good for them this year, is likely out next week. He came off the field. He had tears in his eyes. He was on the cart. Um, high ankle sprain is the initial early diagnosis from a couple of reports out there, uh, which is going to be at least a week, you would think, if not two or three. Um, so we'll obviously see. He'll have to get an MRI, and, and we'll keep an eye on Packers media reporting on that and whatever the team puts out as well. Uh, a couple of uh, always fun to look at, like some of the not necessarily revenge games, but like guys who have been here, Preston Smith, obviously, yeah. has the connection, always, uh, I'm sure, wants to play well against Washington. And I, I don't think LaFleur has quite the. Uh, the vindictiveness that say Kyle might, um, but uh, of course one of the former famous 2013 assistants that stuff, has yeah. uh, has gone on to bigger and better things. All right, we will be back on Wednesday with a mailbag episode, which means we need mailbag questions. You can tweet them at me at Hoffman Show or at Craig Hoffman. Just be like, hey, I have a mailbag question, and then tweet your question. You can also uh, message Logan on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson 82, and we will get your questions that way. Um, also, we're posting a ton more content on YouTube. Uh, we're hoping, I know folks have started asking heavily, like, hey, can we get the full podcast on YouTube? Not yet, uh, but there are clips up. Uh, just, just go to youtube.com slash chh223, chh223, that's my YouTube channel, uh, or just search Craig Hoffman, and you can get that there. It's my, it's my initials and my birthday. I created I the custom say, URL when that? I was like, when I was in like college and uh, I can't currently change it. But uh, if enough of you subscribe, <laughs> then I think I do get that option to, to change my custom URL. Cause I think I signed up for that at a time when you didn't have to, like, you just signed up and you're like, Hey, I want a custom URL. Now YouTube is like, there are too many of you. You all cannot right. have that. So uh, right. it's either that or like XZ 25. It's something that sounds like a play call that like you could probably remember, but I never could. Uh, so that is, uh, that's where you can go on YouTube or just search Craig Hoffman. Uh, that's, that's probably the easiest way to find it. And all the clips are there. All right. That's it for the pod. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you are listening and we will see you on Wednesday for take Command.